When you look at these candles over here, it's such a stark reminder of something shining in the dark. And, and we've gone through these four steps to get us to the center candle. We started with the prophets four weeks ago and then the place and then the pageantry and then the peasants. And as we've looked at that, I mean, every moment as we've gotten closer to the Christ candle, there's been more light that has come. And it's such a good reminder for us of what actually happened on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, when Christ came, because there was something that pierced the dark that changed the world forever. I'm not going to read you the Christmas story. You should have been paying attention a minute ago. But I want to read you the explanation of something that the Lord says from the book of Philippians that I think so perfectly encapsulates what happened when Christ came. The Apostle Paul, writing to a group of believers, said that they needed to be humble. And he begins to tell them to take on humility and look to the humility of Christ as an example for the rest of their lives and how they were going to live. And listen to these words from Philippians chapter two. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." When the apostle writes this and begins saying that Jesus Christ existed in the form of God, you might remember that we spent some time talking about this because it's, it's important that we understand that he's fully God and fully man. A lot of people have tried to separate those things and say, well, he was fully God masquerading as a man. Well, that doesn't work. Or he was just a man who was powerfully like God, but not God, but that doesn't work either. He's got to be fully God and fully man. And in that, notice that it said, he did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Other translations use the word grasped, held on to. What, what is he saying there? You can imagine Jesus Christ, and what we know about Jesus is that he's the creative arm of the Trinity. When you read John chapter one, it says everything that was created was created through him and by him and for him. And so he's in heaven, he's hanging out, it's awesome, it's wonderful. And God says, this is the plan. We're going to send you. And not only are we going to send you, the scripture that we just read said that he took on the form of a servant. Now, to be very clear, the pictures that we have painted of Jesus with the long flowing hair that's perfectly combed and the beautifully manicured beard, it might be a little bit out of touch with reality because it says about Jesus that he was somebody we would have overlooked. It wasn't somebody maybe in the neighborhood who you would have thought like, this, this is the person we all wanna hang out with and play with. He's gonna win most popular at you know, Nazareth uh, Christian High School or whatever. You know, it, it, it's not that way. 
and yet he was willing to do it. And so verse seven says, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. It's not just that he humbled himself to leave heaven. That humility kept happening, right? Because he had to take on the form of a man. He had to deal with sicknesses. He had to deal with temptations. He had to deal with all of those things. And then furthermore, that humility would continue all the way to the cross. We think about the cross and we think about how awful it must have been. But just for a moment, consider the humility. Can you imagine your clothes being taken off, stripped down to your undergarments and being displayed for all the world to see after your body had literally been trashed and abused to where you're, you're barely living? I mean, it's ultimate humility that he's suffering over and over again for us. And it says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. I mean, the worst kind of death that we can imagine. And because he was willing to be humble and because he was willing to be obedient, listen to what the scripture says. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Now this is a reality yet to take place. But I wanna make sure that you understand tonight that it's a reality that's coming because you may think that, what does that mean that every knee's going to have to bow when Jesus comes? I'm not bowing to Jesus. I had a friend who one time said that he'd rather reign in hell with Satan than bow the knee to Jesus. Doesn't work that way. Every knee will bow one day. It's what happens after that that's really interesting. Every knee will bow. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ did the unthinkable. Living a perfect life, he gave that life for you and he gave it for me and he went to the cross and died in our place so that we might be free. Now we're Americans. We love freedom. We think it's the, the highest thing in the world to hold on to freedom and, and we love to talk about our freedoms and we love to, to, to tell everybody how free we are to do whatever we wanna do and, and one of the, the great things about our country is also its undoing is its freedom. Because freedom without limitation leads to excess, which leads to ruination. You'll be ruined by it. But Christ was obedient. And because of that, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue one day will confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is it to the glory of God the Father? Because it's his plan perfectly worked out from the beginning. To a T. Nothing left undone, everything perfectly done. And so tonight, as we consider the birth of Christ, it doesn't do us any good to consider the birth of Christ without considering the death of Christ. Because the birth of Christ, without the death of Christ, is half the story. It, it, it's a story that's unfinished, it's unwritten. It's the death of Christ. And if we don't talk about the resurrection of Christ, we've really missed it. Because it wasn't just that he died for us, it's that he rose. And he's coming again. And so as is our tradition in this church, in just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. I want to give you some instructions about that 
some practical and some theological. This is not the Lord's Supper of the Judson Baptist Church. It's the Lord's Supper. So you don't have to be a member to take the Lord's Supper here. You have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to be a Christ follower to take the Lord's Supper. So we invite you, if you are a Christ follower and you've traveled in from out of town or you're a guest tonight, please feel right at home. It's his table. Make yourself welcome. We would say, though, there's a word of caution about the Lord's Supper. In the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about people who profaned the Lord's Supper. In other words, they're taking it while they're not right with the Lord. This is not something to take because it's Christmas Eve. When we take the Lord's Supper, the Bible says that we proclaim his death until he comes again. This is a testimony of what has already happened in our lives because those of us who are in Christ have experienced his blood taking away our sins. So when we take the Lord's Supper, it's a remembrance for us. It's a proclamation for us. So we invite you to do that. And I give you this caveat, even if you're a believer, there might be a time in your life you might not take the Lord's Supper until you can get some things right. Maybe a relationship that you know needs to be made right. Whatever it may be, as the Spirit speaks to you, it's okay not to take the Lord's Supper. We're not doing it just because it's Christmas Eve. We're doing it because we're instructed to. And the Lord said, do it in remembrance of me. Now, if you're not a believer tonight, this isn't for you. It might be one day, but it's not tonight. We're not policing it, but it's between you and the Lord. And here's what I would say. The last thing is a, a practical thing that on the bottom of this little cup is the bread. On the top of this little cup is the juice. Take care that you don't open them out of order, right? Bread first, juice second. And when you open the juice, you know how it goes. It's like those little juice boxes you give your kids. If you squeeze it, you're gonna wear it. So at this time, here's what I'd like us to do. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask our deacons when I'm done praying to make their way to the front and we'll begin to take the Lord's Supper. But let's enter into a season and an attitude of prayer and confession and thanksgiving for the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiving us of our sins and cleansing us from our sins. Heavenly Father, in this moment, we want to prepare our hearts for what we are about to do. We recognize the great beauty that the light of the world is shining tonight because Jesus came, he lived, he died and rose again. And as we take this supper in remembrance of him, we remember on this Christmas Eve what a special gift we have received in salvation. Father, I pray that tonight the humility that Paul urged the church in Philippi to adopt would be found in our church, in our lives, in your church, Lord, universally, that we would be humble before you and obedient to you. Father, as we take these elements, we recognize that there's not anything mystical or special about the elements. It's a symbolic representation of what happened so long ago. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were willing to humble yourself and humble yourself again all the way to the point of death on a cross. And as we do this, we proclaim your death, its powerful, changing nature, 
in your resurrection until you come again. And as the church is instructed to to pray, we pray once again, even now, Lord Jesus, come. In your name we pray, amen.